Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. This is Foundation, the official podcast from Apple TV+. Joining me again, David S. Goyer, showrunner and executive producer. How are you, David? I'm very good. Thank you. We're going to get into episode six, Death and the Maiden. By the way, once again, spoilers for episode six. Please watch that episode before you come to this podcast. And then we will wait for you. We'll be right here when you're ready. This is Foundation, the official podcast, and we are your guide to the galaxy from Trantor to Terminus to Anacrea, now Sura. Space is a big place. We aim to make it smaller and brighter and add some important context to everything you see on the show. Quick recap for this episode with a theme of subterfuge and risk. Uh, Dawn digs into some typical teenage stuff, hunting ghillie raptors, uh, before heading to the brothel with his clone brother slash grandfather. Uh, Farah abducts Salvor and the other Foundationers on the way to the Invictus. Day travels to the center of Illuminism, where there are some complicated feelings towards him. Uh, David, let's start with the biggest reveal, in my opinion— the vision that reveals to Salvor that Harry and Raish had some plan behind Harry's murder. That Yes, that his assisted suicide. Yes. This whole thing collapses because you stay with her. And everything, everyone has sacrificed, all wasted. You know what I'm saying is true. Do you trust the math? you trust me? I wish I'd never met you. So we start to peel back the layers of why that happened, what happened. More will be explained later on. But but clearly, it's something that they'd planned at least before that night. Yeah. So one of the things that we're starting to see is some of the information that was withheld from Gail. I keep thinking that Harry himself is like a vault that only <laughs> releases information on a need-to-know basis. Um, Very much so. I, the line that really it just felt so sad to me is Raish saying, "I hate the math." After Harry, it's, yeah, it's, you know, do, do you trust the math? This is going to this is going to yeah. work out. You know, this is going to be okay. And then Raish just defeated, ultimately. Defe- I hate the math. I wish I never met you. Well, that's it's it's interesting that you say that because that's one of the you know. We treat math on this show almost like this, it's the language of angels or mm-hmm. it's, it's just an incredible superpower. Mm-hmm. But the flip side of that is math doesn't care about right or wrong. Math right. doesn't care whether you live or die. If the math says you should do X and you want to do Y, it's, it's just maddening because that's the other aspect of feeling like you don't have any agency. I know the Harry Rich reveal is a smaller part of this episode, but I am so excited to return to this topic in later episodes. Um, about Salvor, she has been having these kind of flashes of uh, visions of a child running through the night. And uh, she found herself uh, in the Imperial Library at another point. And now she's had this vision. Um, it, what's going on? I mean, what's going on? <laughs> what's, what's happening with her? Obviously, something's going on. Yeah. Obviously, I can't tell <laughs> you or the audience what's going on, um, but we will reveal what's going on yeah. at some point in the future. She obviously does not have time to process these things that she's seeing and what's happening because she's under direct threat from the Anacreans. The people she cares about are in danger. But what is her state of mind about 
these things that she's experiencing? She feels that she has been called to service mm. for some reason. And she feels that even though she's not an encyclopedist, that Harry Selden has in some way called her to service and wants her to solve this crisis, that for some reason she's been chosen. Harry said, he said, an entire galaxy can pivot around the actions of an individual. So then you are one of those individuals, right? Harry is guiding you to keep the plan on course. <laughs> because I'm what? Special? And then she worries in this episode that Harry chose the wrong woman. I loved Sabas and how he has that line as uh, as he's saying goodbye to Salvor. Don't fight the wind. You yeah. know, trust yourself, essentially. Yeah. Like, trust yeah. the feelings that you have. I, and I kept thinking, you know, she has needed that. Um, will she be able to continue to trust these feelings without him around? I mean, that's the question. And again, the, the, and Asimov himself dealt with this by the time he was writing the second book in the Foundation series, which is the show is this kind of constant tension between the plan writ large mm -hmm. and, and individual agency. Right. Harry would say, dude, I'm all data driven. Right. Don't trust your gut. Don't trust your feelings. But of course, that's not how humans work. And that's also not how our audience works. And so it's this weird thing where the audience wants the characters to have agency. The audience and the characters in the show want themselves to have agency. They want to believe that their actions matter. But at the same time, they want to believe that there's some plan and that even when we screw up, yeah. that's part of the plan. And, and that's just the human condition, but that's something that we explore again and again and again in the show. On Trantor, uh, <laughs> poor Brother Dawn's existential crisis continues in what would seem to be a pretty chill weekend or a couple of days for him, going to hunt, maybe uh, hit up the brothel, turns into a continuation of this crisis that he is undergoing. First of all, the Gilly-Raptor scene. He shoots more uh, Gilly-Raptors than Dusk, more than any Cleon has ever bagged, ever. Um, a seemingly, uh, what would seem to be an event for maybe a little bit of celebration, a little bit of bragging, is instead something that would put the spotlight on him in a way that is very uncomfortable because it shows that he's different. Um, what is the panic on his face is, you feel it. Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate. What is, couldn't he have just like shot only, he should have known this number, right? <laughs> Going into it. Well, this is, it's funny. We talked about um, in this episode, day is away on the maiden. Mm -hmm. And so ostensibly this was an opportunity for dusk and dawn to bond, you know, for grandpa to take, you know, grandson hunting um, and, and make him a man and, yeah. and, you know, take him to the brothel and all of this. But, but because Dawn is hiding this secret, it's, it's becoming this sort of perilous situation where Dawn and the audience is starting to wonder whether or not Dusk is onto him. Yeah. 
and messing with him. And, and I think the audience starts to get a sense that this is actually a very dangerous situation for Don to be in. Yeah, you feel that, the pain of that somehow. But when you're supposed to be exactly the same as these other people who are immensely powerful. Um, They're the most powerful people in the galaxy. Yeah, even picking up, you know, a fork with the wrong hand is a potentially a sign of like an impending coup or some kind. It's a revolutionary act. Um, and in that way, it I can't imagine the, the fear that he has in him right now. Um, let's go to what I think is, for me, the most fascinating uh, part of this episode, which is uh, Day's trip uh, to the Maiden um, and his introduction, our introduction to Luminism. Tell us about this religion. So it's a very large religion, marginally based on something like Tibetan Buddhism or something mm -hmm. like that. And um, it's a matriarchy. It believes in reincarnation. And for four centuries, the leaders of Luminism have had a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours relationship with empire. And empire has sort of had a hand in picking the new Proxima, which is sort of the equivalent of the Pope. And for the first time in 400 years, the leaders of Luminism are, are starting to buck that trend and are pushing back. And this woman who we heard about in episode four, and now we meet, played by Tinia Miller, she's the embodiment of that. She's this sort of um, recently popular figure who was a dark horse candidate to become Proxima, but suddenly is gaining a lot of ground. And she's made a series of um, inflammatory statements about the empire. And... I was really keen to, I, I love this story uh, with Day. Um, and this is sort of the first part of that story. And I was, I was keen to match him up with someone who was in every way his exact opposite. Mm -hmm. he, he goes there with a lot of hubris saying, feeling like I can handle this. And almost immediately realizes this woman is a very deft political mm -hmm. operator. Why was it important to bring religion into this? And how would you, I keep thinking like, what, what would, what are relations like between Luminism and the Seer Church? Is there any friction there? And what is it? Well, the Seer Church, uh, which is on Synact, is by Luminist standards an incredibly tiny religion. Um, it, it's I, religion fascinates me. I'm myself a religious, but it it definitely fascinates me. And we came into it on this season because religion was something that empire doesn't govern, or or at least the genetic dynasty doesn't. I think there were previous emperors that were religious, and possibly even previous emperors that were luminists, mm. and then adherence of other religions. So the Cleon dynasty, I mean, similar to the Roman Empire, it seems like there is a very open-handed view towards religion. It's wide acceptance. They're not trying yeah, to they govern real, that. They realized that. Other than please elect yeah, yeah, the Zephyr yeah. that aligns with our political Well, it's a, in their yeah. view, it's a way of sort of keeping the masses quelled. Right. It's like, let them have their religion. I think you're right. There is a certain aspect of 
if the idea is, hey, there's a better world after this uh, and we're working towards it, that is a helpful ideal, I think, if you're trying to control a lot of people or at least keep it them is. from it is. saying, keep why are things up. like this? Right, yeah. right. I mean, if if a if an adherent believes in another world that potentially they will get to enjoy the rewards of something better than this, it makes it easier to sort of corral them now, right? If they don't believe that, if all they believe is now is all we have, then people are more apt to say, screw it. I want more now. Yeah. I don't want to wait for my reward. You know, I remember I grew up, um, initially, I, uh, my mother was Jewish and my dad was Christian mm -hmm. and we were both, which yeah. was very confusing. Best of both it, worlds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we celebrated Hanukkah and we celebrated Christmas. We celebrated Easter and we celebrated yeah. Passover. Very confusing. But um, but I remember at a certain point after my, my dad left, my mother put me in Jewish weekend school, whatever it, mm -hmm. it was. And we were talking to the rabbi and we were, I started quizzing the rabbi about uh, alien life. <laughs> And and what does the Torah say about like life on other planets and life on other? And, and my it, picture of David S. Goyer is coming into focus. I understand why you why you are in the life that you yeah are in. yeah. <laughs> so I co opted this conversation. And it, I was like, and I said to the rabbi, "Do you believe there's life on other planets?" And this was in front of a bunch of people. And he said, "Well, I suppose so." And I said, "Do you think there's intelligent life?" And I was maybe ten. And the rabbi said, "I suppose so." And I said, "So do you think?" Let's say there was alien life on another planet and they were like octopuses, you know. Uh, I was younger, so the plural is octopi. Like, do you think <laughs> those octopus aliens um, practice Judaism? And he was like, can we talk about something else? <laughs> you know? But I kept, I kept pushing and kept pushing. Anyway, ultimately, I got punished and sent home, you know, for the day or whatever because I just kept, you know. <laughs> And, and that was just me as a kid. It was like, yeah, what is the deal with that? Or like, I mean, so in, in, in a in a uh, in a very real way, you're still exploring those questions. No, I am. I mean, yeah. that's why I brought it up. Uh, jumping back to uh, Luminism, one of the things that is so interesting about this is that Demarzel the highly advanced robot, last of her kind, we think, um, and companion to Empire is herself a a believer in luminism. In, in this religion, yeah. Um, she says about it that it, uh, you know your purpose yeah. when, uh, you, when you're a believer of this. What does that mean for a robot to be religious, to be an adherent to a religion? Well, on the surface of it, it doesn't, makes sense, right? And 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 we start to talk about in this episode, there's this scene where she's kind of quizzing him. Age of faith. 15,000 years. Predates the empire itself. Number of believers. Three trillion. I've never asked you, how is it that you believe? How, or why? It's it's funny because I got that idea from reading Ben Rhodes' uh, book, and when he would go abroad with Obama, yeah. he would like sort of 
quiz Obama on on whatever country they were going to or whoever the main. That's actually where I got the idea for that scene. I love it. And um, <laughs> so, um, you know, he's he's studying up on 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 luminism, and he's it occurs to him for the first time really ever because he's so narcissistic to ask her. Yeah, what is the deal yeah. with that? <laughs> like, how how can you, a robot, be an adherent of a religion? You don't really have free will. And and then we start to talk a little bit about the get into her programming and her and and he says sort of, but you know your purpose. It's to serve it's to serve me, empire. Yeah, to yeah. serve you know. So what's up with that? Um, watch that space uh, because. You know, I believe Demerzel isn't just a machine, that Demerzel has a consciousness. Yeah. We say she, but really there's no gender to Demerzel. And um, the way we talked about Demerzel is that she she is, at one point she had agency. Uh, now she doesn't because of this set of programming protocols that have been put around her. But inside, she still has thoughts that are her own. So she's kind of trapped and caged by these protocols. And we'll get into that, you know, more as the season progresses. I mean, not to uh, jump towards a, a moment towards the end of the episode, but, I, you know, when Demerzel, uh kneels to acknowledge her respect for Zephyr Halima, here we have you know, the fundamental protocol to serve empire seemingly, at least from, certainly from Dave's perspective, coming into conflict with. Yeah, because Helene was just given this huge speech where she just completely trashed. You don't have a soul. Yeah. like And, (laughs) and, um, and then everyone starts thumping their chests and bowing to Halima. And there's this, it's sort of like this wave, you know, of, of bowing, uh, reaching day. And then there's this moment where he looks at, Demerzel, and he can see in her eyes that she's conflicted, and he's sort of like, "Don't you dare! Don't, don't, don't!" And then, and then she kneels, and then he's literally the last man standing uh, at the you know end of the episode. One of my f- favorite things that Day does in this episode is when he arrives, he's under pressure. He wants to tamp down this from his perspective, heretical uh, return to a, to an ancient school of belief within uh, Luminism. And so he's you know, he's like, oh, uh, the desalination plant. Why didn't you say you all wanted water? Uh, yeah, 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 we'll build it. What yeah, do you do? yeah, yeah. Right away, of yeah, course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they see through this immediately, yeah. right? Yeah. He goes there thinking, like, uh, all these people are going to be pushovers. Right. And he quickly realizes they're not, and I'm in over my head. Mm-hmm. Even though he's a smart guy, this is not the kind of nuanced negotiation that he's used to handling because the main issue with the Luminists there are they don't want the same things that he wants. Empire can't, it doesn't govern the afterlife. And right. Empire can't determine whether or not right. you make it to heaven. You create a genetic dynasty because you're saying the here and now is it. This yeah, is exactly. what we are concerned it, it, about. Exactly. There's nothing else. We are making this it, the exactly. Best it so can be. what do you what what does Empire do when it's dealing with 
this body of people that literally believe in reincarnation right. and literally believe that here and now isn't just right. this. It's a transitory and that space. More. Right. Exactly. The thing about empire, and it was true with the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. and I think it's true even to a certain extent with American empire, mm-hmm. right, is um, eventually an entity overextends and then it starts to retract. And as it starts to retract, it starts to lose control. And then a lot of empires in that moment lash out and get more oppressive as they're losing control, which only just accelerates the cycle. And so that's what's happening with empire across the galaxy is they're increasingly, in order to maintain control, having to sort of tighten their fist on everyone in all these different ways. As the foundation, as its roots grow deeper and as it continues to, to build, we expect, how do they avoid getting caught up in this stagnation? And I would imagine that Harry has thought about this and some of his solutions involve or are the reasons for his various obfuscations of the truths. So the challenge for the foundation is as, as empire declines and foundation, the foundation becomes more powerful, how does the foundation avoid the same traps that empire has fallen into? And that's something that Asimov directly addressed in his trilogy. And it is certainly something that Harry Selden has planned for at, because he's also most of the time a pretty good student of the human condition. Mm-hmm. People get complacent or people get comfortable with power and power tends to corrupt. You mentioned kind of like military superiority, um, but it feels like in, in with days with days travels to to the maiden that there's a significant like a cultural hegemony as well right like people take their whether they understand it or not you know whether maybe there are sayings or kind of you know whatever galactic memes are out there there's some kind of cultural medium that is part of what has been holding this galaxy together also right yeah the thing that's tricky about empire and and we talked about Cleon the first 400 odd years ago. He, that was the very apex of empire. They, just like the Roman Empire, that the empire that we're interrogating in the show was really successful. Uh, they did largely colonize the galaxy. You know, they, it's, the problem is we're just, we're catching them at the telltale end yeah. of, of, what they used to be. And if we're fortunate enough to um, keep going, we are going to start to examine in future seasons, um, you know, because the empire has been around a lot longer than the genetic dynasty has. So we are going to start to examine and even meet some of the emperors pre the genetic dynasty. But, But arguably, they're the most successful form of government institution in the history sure. of mankind. And um, they also did a lot of good things. You know, humanity is on 10,000 worlds, and that's not solely due, but largely due to empire. I know the day has, uh, you know, his imperial aura, and it is uh, it is 
quite sturdy. Is he at all concerned about an assassination attempt? Like you would imagine that at the enemies of empire have thought about it. And and there have been attempts even on Cleon's before. He's not worried about assassination attempts. He's this particular version of day. <laughs> He's got enormous hubris. Yeah. Um, although it's interesting because I alluded to this at the end of episode four. Um, I like how this episode begins with, you know, um, the Rubicon, you know, jumping into space near the maiden and, and day waking up with the spacers and then having this sort of odd sense of unease because he's never left Trantor and he's never jumped through space and he's, he is dislocated from everything. And then he's got that interesting scene with Demerzel where he's talking to her at her vanity. I'm ready to review for... A moment, Empire. I wasn't expecting you so soon. Even as a child, you'd watch my preparations. Are you feeling quite well, Empire? Oh, it's just the jump. And that scene was meant to evoke and echo the scenes in um, episode two when Child Dawn was watching Demerzel sort of repair herself. And it may not be obvious, but but when Day is talking to Demerzel uh, in her quarters and watching her make her preparations, I mean, he's he's the same guy as the little kid that we saw in episode two that also used to watch her and have this strange fascination with this robot who was also sort of his nanny. Yeah, there's a real tenderness in those early scenes. Um that it is fascinating to watch that move away, yeah. to see him really harden as a person when as a child he was this, you know, he was afraid of uh, after the attack on the Starbridge. He was emotionally affected by watching these executions and now he is a, a he's a real motherfucker. This he's, guy. A total, <laughs> he, he's a total, and and the, the thing that's also interesting and I, I, I think it's subtle in the show, but we talked a lot in our writer's room about the kind of life cycle of of Empire's relationship with Demerzel. Mm. So Demerzel starts off as a nanny, as a teacher to Dawn, as a mother. And then as Dawn becomes Day, it's like the right-hand woman. And it's implied that at certain points they might even have sexual relationships, which is wow. very strange. Uh, but then at that point, Day starts to realize the limitations of who he is as an individual and how, and, 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 and starts to resent Demerzel because Demerzel is the person who's reminding him of his limitations as an individual and starts to hate wow. Demerzel. And then... As day becomes dusk and starts to contemplate <laughs> his own mortality as dusk, he falls in love with Demerzel again and appreciates Demerzel. And then she ushers him into darkness and then the cycle begins again. It's, it's complicated. And with that, let us head to another game of Building the Foundation. It is our light speed round. Are you ready, David? Yes. 
something to build upon. You'll be allowed to build your foundation. Foundation. Uh, what type of bomb did a boss detonate? No idea. A disc bomb. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so we've seen the Imperial Auras and how powerful they are and how protective they are. Is this how Dorwin survived the crash? Something, Some kind of similar attack? Yes, but he also had, and you'll appreciate this, that little pod that yeah. he's in. Um that was my sort of homage to Escape from New York and oh, the, that little, the little yes. pod that Donald Pleasance was in when he survives like the plane crash. I remember when we were in um, the writer's room and we were talking about that ship getting shot down and how Dorwin survives. I was like, easy. <laughs> Donald Pleasance in Escape from New York. Hey, he made it. Yeah. Uh, what kind of technology is used on the Maiden Moon? Are they anti-technology? Like no, they're not, they're not anti-technology. They even have spaceships. But... This is their sort of ancient seed of their religion. So mm. I don't think they employ technology here in the Salt Palace. I see. I think when you come to the Salt Palace, you hand over your iPhone or whatever it is. What is a jump like for the spacers? Amazing. Ecstatic. It's like taking, you know, MDMA or something like that. I mean, they, 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 for them, it's a, it's a religious experience. Is there like a, a a vitamin D deficiency on the people who live on the lower levels in Trantor? Like, is do the do the no, simulated they have, they skies? Have, yeah, they have it, artificial sunlight. You can get yeah, ultraviolet rays and things like that. They've thought of everything on Trantor. And then finally, David, what is in the vault? So this probably won't be a surprise to you, but it's that rotating ice tunnel from the Six Million Dollar Man <laughs> series. You know, the one that Sasquatch yes. was in, Bigfoot. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Foundation, the official podcast. Be sure to follow on Apple Podcasts to get the next episode in your feed and watch Foundation on Apple TV Plus where available. This is an Apple TV Plus podcast produced by Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers at Pineapple are Max Linsky, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Barry Finkel. Our senior managing producer is Gabrielle Lewis. Our producers are Ahmoud Ali Akbar and Jonathan Shiflet. Darby Maloney is our senior editor. Our composer is Carly Bond. I am Jason Concepcion. David, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Thank you.